0: You really are a donut, as we say over here.
1: What's a donut? Well, you know what a donut is. Well, I know what a, well, uh, th- I thought I did, but describing me as one, that puts something else in mind.
0: Yeah, it's, um, we use Muppet as well, a lot. It's a sort of a, a mildly, friendly insult. <laughs> okay.
1: You see, have you never heard that? <laughs> they, they, a, a, no, I haven't heard, well, I've heard, I've heard both words. I've heard a Muppet, and I've heard of a donut.
0: Well, Yeah. But in this context it means that you are, I don't know, mildly stupid, I suppose.
1: Are you no. allowed to say that to podcast guests? No, that's good. I think it's starting off on the right foot. Putting me in my place. No, no, you can just argue with me. But yeah, you can say, You're your right donut. Is your right donut. Well you're no. a croissant. So No 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 say that again with the English accent, because that was crystal. No. <laughs> I can only do it if you've said it first.
0: Oh God, okay. Well I'll do oh, God, time. okay.
1: Right? You're not going to do
0: this for the whole hour, are you? I promise, no. Because I was going to ask you to come on the show anyway. Maybe I should have mentioned that before the Kickstarter.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Wait, uh, it's too late for a refund? It's nothing to do with me. It wasn't my bloody Kickstarter. Yeah, no, I was, uh, no, I was happy to donate. It a, it's a great project and, um, I wanted to be on the show, so I figured now you'd have to
0: have me. I mean, maybe it gives you another one. Maybe it's a buy one, get one free.
1: <laughs> okay, well, we'll see how this
0: one goes. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. We'll check in at the end. People might write in, oh, my God, no, not him again, which is what they do every week for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I sh- we should just explain for listeners out there in listener land that you backed a fabulous Kickstarter project earlier on in the year, uh, which was called What Comes Next is the Future. Yes. Which is a brilliant. Well, look, looks like it's going to be a brilliant film about the web that Matt Griffin, he's the guy that founded the Bearded Agency. He's uh, he's making.
1: Yes, and it, it looks. I mean, it looks great. They have a lot of cool clips on it um, so far. You know, already interviews already, and um, it was fun to watch because it kind of it got down to the last minute, didn't it? There on the the funding, it was a bit tight, but then they've gone like ten thousand dollars over ultimately, which
0: yeah. you know is even better. But no, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's got, or it's going to have interviews with quite a lot of my web heroes in there, talking about the, the history of the web. Um, and they've managed, I've managed to sneak in there as well, actually. Lord knows how. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to set it up. I don't know whether it'll be like a remote interview, whether or not, you know, I'll have to film it here and then send it across the internet. I don't know. They should, they got to, they got to come and visit. Well, I would hope so. Cause they're nice. I've met, I think I've met Matt, uh, once before, but they do some really nice work at Bearded.
1: Matt Braun, who is one of the other guys at Bearded, they I think they're lead designer. Uh, he's either from Vermont or has lived here before. So he lives, he, um, he knows the area I'm from, which is kind of cool, but only Matt has a beard, I think of Bearded. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have to grow one for the interview process and then you, you shave it off. It reminds me of ZZ Top. His beard? No, no, no. The fact that there's,
0: in ZZ Top, there's three guys. Two of them have got beards, but the guy who hasn't got
1: a beard is called Frank Beard. How cool is that? He gets away with it. He's got beard in his name. He doesn't have to have one on his face. I love ZZ Top.
0: Anyway, I'm really looking forward to this film. So, like I said, I was going to have you on anyway, but thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for your back into the Kickstarter thing and, uh, and, and thanks for being on. Maybe we should do, <laughs> maybe what we should do is tell people
1: what you do if they don't already know. Sure. We, is this a joint thing or should I, should I do it?
0: Well, well, well I'll, I'll kick it off and then you can, <laughs> you can carry on. But you're, you're Jory Raphael, the famous internet famous Jory Raphael. I, I'm,
1: I, I, uh, I wouldn't go far as calling me famous, though I probably am the only internet Jory Raphael.
0: So you're a designer and you're an illustrator and an iconographer, which is great because we have two icon guys in two weeks on the podcast because we had John Hicks on last week.
1: Yeah, I just listened to that. Well he's he's at a different level than I am, I think. So I do all of those things. I'm a designer, an illustrator, and iconographer. And I um my icons are symbolicons, I call them, and you can get those online and then I do illustrations for various little things, all kind of in a very iconic style, as it were for various places. Um, I do a lot of the artwork for five by five.
0: I want to talk about that a little later actually.
1: Yeah. And, um, and then right now I actually, I'm making the transition away from freelance work and and focusing a lot more of my time, um, on a startup I called notably that I co-founded.
0: Cool. Well, let's talk about that a little later.
1: Yeah. So that's me. And, uh, I'm, I'm sensible world on most internet things.
0: I am one of your customers. I know. Thank you. I buy your Symbolicons icons. I love them. They're so cool. I appreciate that. And clients seem to
1: like them too. Every everyone that I give them away to. <laughs> well, you you know what? Go for it. Enjoy. You bought them initially. As long as they're not selling them, we're all set.
0: No, I know. I buy them every time. Let's talk about how you you came to work on that and with and with them. Um, maybe a little bit later on. But let before we get into the conversation, I don't want to kind of interrupt here because I'm fascinated by some of this stuff. Can we just? Take a little bit of time just so that I can thank our first sponsor. Of course. Because it's a new sponsor this week. And I'm really excited to talk about them because it's Antitype. And Antitype is a new design tool that they say has been created for UX designers by UX designers. That sounds cool. So I'll tell you some more. So last week, you know, I was saying that John Hicks was on the show. Yes. Well, one of the things that we didn't get around to talking about, because we just got, you know, well, we had to talk about Doctor Who for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm getting slightly better, I hope. I'm trying to sort of put the bantery stuff into the after show or like tuck it in at the end, just so that boring people don't go, oh, man, he's talking about Doctor Who again. And, not, you know, when's all the business stuff? Oh, yeah, but I'm sure they listen to it for it all, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. People that do PHP programming or something, I don't know. Different world. Anyway, we didn't get around to talking about Doctor Who. We did get around to talking about Doctor Who, but what we didn't get around talking about was design software because we've both been huge, huge fans of macromedia fireworks over the years. And I'm still going to say macromedia because controversial. I don't think Adobe ever did any good with fireworks. Not ever. Yeah. And the fact that they squandered opportunity and we, you know, we've been both been looking at and trying out new design software, and Antitype is something that we've both been playing with. So what Antitype is about? Well, put simply, it's a UI design tool that helps you to express your visual design, interactive, and user experience design ideas to developers, customers, and users, all through one single file. And, you know, for a long time, there's been a real need for a web design tool in your web design, in inverted commas, one that's been made specifically for the web. And I think type's that type of tool. It's been designed as a UI design tool from the start. In fact, one example of this is that when you design with antitype, your UI elements get organized in terms of hierarchy, which makes perfect sense, unlike layers. <laughs> Organizing elements this way makes other things possible too. And this, this is brilliant. They call it automatic layout. And we've all suffered from this, I think. You need to add an element in between some others into a design, and that means you end up spending time nudging the position of loads of different design elements on the page. But you don't do that with Antitype. No, you can add or remove any element, and Antitype will automatically reflow the design, just like a web page does. I think this feature makes Antitype worth the money on its own. And there's so much more. I'll talk about other features over the next few weeks, but there's just one more, and it's a big one. Antitype's got responsive web design tools built in. It's got a layout engine that automatically recalculates the size of elements at different widths, and you can also specify whether elements resize, show, or hide at different breakpoints. And that means you can design a responsive website or an application in one file on one screen rather than across several. I was a bit sceptical at the beginning, but it really does work. So Antitype's available now for 129 of our British pounds. Not sure what that is in, in Vermont money.
1: (laughs) It's a tough translation.
0: For a tool that good, I think that's a good price. So go to unfinished.bz slash Antitype. That's A-N-T-E-T-Y-P-E. Antitype. And use the offer code unfinished. And if you do that before the 31st of October, you get fifteen percent off, and that's anti-type. Awesome! It is awesome. It's a pretty awesome piece of software, actually.
1: And they have a uh, they have a thirty day trial.
0: Can you hear that noise above me? No, it's like I think it's helicopters droning overhead. I think it's Adobe swooping in because I just was critical
1: about the fireworks. <laughs> well, I, I I've just recently stopped using Photoshop for UI design, so i'll have to I'll have to give this a test run. Were you ever a fireworks user? Um, no, I used, no, I was never a firehand user, fireworks user. I used freehand um, from Macromedia back when they had that, but I never used, I never used fireworks. Because I was never,
0: you know, a graphic designer. I didn't do graphic design at art school. And even though when I got back into design, I used, you know, Cork Express. Oh man, Cork Express. I only ever really did page layouts. I used Photoshop for retouching, but I didn't ever get to learn Illustrator. You know, it was, I don't know, it just never came, came across my need to do it, mm-hmm. never need to use it, um, until really I started designing things for the web and then obviously making kind of graphic elements. And even then I think the learning curve was really steep. Whereas with fireworks, it always seemed to be that it had been designed more as a web design tool with a few other things kind of associated with it. I mean, it had some rudimentary bitmap retouching tools, masks and and various things, but it also had some really good simple vector tools as well. And, you know, not really understanding everything about curves and points and and everything in illustrator. It just seemed like a really accessible piece of software to use. I loved it. I used it for years and years and years. I think since like fireworks two.
1: Was it was it like the first design software you used?
0: Uh I remember using a little bit of freehand very early on, but it was the first you used for web design. But it was the first and pretty much only thing that I've ever used for web design. I never used Photoshop for for, for web or UI design.
1: Yeah, and I think that's it. That, I, I feel like if you're, I, you know, this is not true now because Fireworks is no more. But if um you know, a while back, if you were just getting into designing for the web, it made perfect sense as like the starting point. Cause it combined a little bit of illustrator with a little bit of Photoshop and kind of, you know, worked perfectly for that, for that medium. Um, but I think I started, I was using Photoshop before I was, you know, tried fireworks and I'd been using illustrator and freehand before that. And so I was just in these different buckets and learning a new tool in the middle. Didn't, I kind of bent the other tools to my will to, to get the product I wanted. And just learning the other tool was, um, always a little uh, daunting.
0: Yeah. I think that's how I felt, but I was coming at it from the other angle completely. And what you said, you went to art school? Well, yes, years ago.
1: Nice, but no design. Uh,
0: no, I was, it was a fine art course that I did. So I went there thinking that I was going to be a, a fabulous painter. And within about two or three days, I realized that I was actually a pretty terrible painter. (laughs) (laughs) And then I ended up doing a lot of photography and uh, a lot of printmaking. I used to love printmaking. Um, In fact, I really ought to do it. My wife bought me some beautiful uh, lino cutting tools Mm -hmm. and a press uh, a couple of years ago for my birthday and Christmas. And, oh, man, I need to use them. I mean, you know, I, I haven't used them once Which is so sad. I have them in, I have them in the studio. They look great, but I need to actually get around to using them.
1: Yeah, it's fun. Take a, you know, take a break from the screen time and do something artworthy with your hands.
0: Well, I think that again, I was talking to John Hicks about this last week and saying that, well, by the time that this goes out, which will be Monday morning likely that this goes out, we're recording this on Thursday, a little bit earlier than I normally record, but this will go out on Monday. And when it goes out, I will likely be swearing a lot at Ikea furniture. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a lot of Ikea furniture to put together on Monday because we're actually moving into our new office. Oh, wow. We're moving out of the house and uh, and into a a little office. It's no bigger than we've got in the house, but it's not in the house. I'm hoping that with a little bit more separation between work time and home time, Mm I'm not going to want to come home and look at a screen. I think I'm going to, I'm going to quite, be quite strict about that. But that's not to say that I'm not going to want to come home and maybe even draw again. I haven't drawn for such a long time, apart from just, you know, scribbles in a sketchbook. But nothing meaningful. Oh, it's all meaningful. No, you see, I wish that I was better at it. Um, I think I'm going to have to really get over making that first mark. I'll buy a beautiful sketchbook and then it's, I'm almost afraid to use it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost as I know with a lot of people, a lot of my friends that, that I went to art school with, you know, they would, they'd have no fear. They'd dive straight in. And if something didn't work okay on a page, they'd just either tear the page out and move on to another page. Me, I always thought of them more like kind of artifacts. I think I've always been a little bit too precious about this stuff.
1: Oh, I get the feeling. I would always start my sketchbooks in the middle. And then you, and if it turned out to be a good sketch, I'd want to tear up like the first half of the book so that the first, the good sketch could be in the front. That's a really good idea. <laughs> Just keep going till you got one good. And then it's a sketchbook that has a single page in it by the end.
0: That's actually a really good idea. Cause I used to really love drawing and, uh, I was never particularly kind of free with it. Things were always a little bit labored, but I think with practice, I would uh, i would soon get back.
1: Yeah, I wanted i wanted to be a cartoonist when I was little. That was my big life goal, was to, to be in the funny pages.
0: What, actually in terms of like serial cartoons?
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. And that's, you know, that kind of you can, if you look at any of my work nowadays, it's all kind of has a little bit of that whimsy and that um, kind of the, the lightness and the simpleness uh, that you can kind of trace it back directly to my love of comics and comic strips. But, uh, that, but that didn't, that didn't pan out for me. So
0: were you more into static, um, cartoons rather than let's say, uh,
1: you know, animated stuff, animated shorts? No, I love them both, but I didn't, um, I just remember studying the comic pages like out of our new, the daily newspaper and the, and, um, The Sunday paper with the, the big colored comics in it. And I just as a kid. I just studied them and, you know, we had much, uh, my access to TV and to television was much less than my kids is, (laughs) than my kids have today. So we didn't, you know, I, where I grew up, we got one TV channel, um, if that on a good day and the rest are all kind of fuzzy. And so the, the cartoons that I could watch as a kid were Saturday morning pretty much, um, so yeah, the comic, the comic pages, I just love pouring over and, and studying and putting up to the window and tracing and kind of that informed that informed my style up until even now. Yeah, I can remember doing something similar, but when I was
0: pretty young, uh, we used to have uh, little strips in daily and Sunday papers, and there'd be like two or three panels. That'd be it. Yeah, try to tell a story. And I think the one that I remember was uh, Hagar the Horrible. Oh
1: yeah, I remember that.
0: God, I haven't thought about that for years.
1: Yeah, that I used to uh, the Tintin, the Tintin books I used to read all the time, and the uh, the what is it, Asterix and, and oh, Now,
0: now you're talking. Yeah, I mean, God, we could spend in t- people are going to get they're going to send start <laughs> sending postcards in again. They're going to start writing letters.
1: Oh no, I love those. So and and obviously they were for me anyway. They were I couldn't you know I was getting the translated versions, but um, or at least of Asterix.
0: I've read some in the French, um, but my French is more kind of cafe and supermarket French rather than clever comic French. <laughs>
1: Give me an example of some, uh, supermarket French. Uh,
0: well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this now on the podcast. <laughs> Put me on the spot. I mean, you know, super, supermarket, supermarket oh, French on, is generally, don't be a, don't be a donut. It's generally kind of like, you know, may I have a sack, you know, may I have a bag, mm-hmm. you know, un sac, s'il vous plait. In a really bad English accent. <laughs> no, my French is not. I really wish I could speak better French. But uh, no, Asterix, I remember being about seven years old. And I remember this vividly. And my friend at the time, Benjamin Budd, his name was, never seen him since, since I was about eight, showed me the first Asterix book that I ever saw. And it was Asterix and the Golden Sickle. Mm-hmm. And I bought that book and I still have it. I still have the original hardbacks of all of the, um, the Goscinny and Uderzo books up until Rene Goscinny died.
1: And then that's, you know, I don't know. I started getting the paperbacks after that, I, but they're so good. They're such good stories. They, for me, it was, it's also a lesson in, you, you mentioned kind of the sketchbook and wanted to be perfect with it, but, uh, I, I distinctly remember looking at the books and, and how the art style matured. Throughout them. So in the earlier books, it's a little bit rougher and the characters aren't quite, you know, the, the, uh, as iconic as they became. Um, and then as the books progress and the, you know, the, they go down the line and he's done more and more and more of them, they just, it kind of crystallizes into the like exact representation of the characters that you, you know, you pull up in your memory. Um, and so it's just the idea that it's a process. And so that doesn't have to be perfect. And you keep working on it and working on it. It gets better and better.
0: A little bit like some of those early seasons of The Simpsons. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And sometimes they come on, um, they show them on Sky TV over here, sort of afternoon tea time spot, 6 o'clock onwards. And I'll flick it on rather than watching some depressing news. And if it's one of those really early ones, I can't
1: watch it. It just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep, now I know the feeling. That's that's how I feel like when I look at some of my old work, right?
0: <laughs> but Asterix, Asterix is a, is a absolute classic. And like I said, I've still got those books. In fact, Alex, my son, who's now 22, grew up. We read all of those books. I used to read them all to him. Um, and he would know, it makes me sound like a grumpy dad, but he would know not to touch those books unless we were actually sitting and reading them. <laughs> because, you know, if there was a fire now i would probably pick up my phone and try to carry as many of those asterix books out of the building as i could so, they'd be the things that i took with me
1: yeah that's great i need to get some i should get some for to have in our house for my kids
0: well the latest one uh i got one for christmas and it's quite interesting because they're now being written and drawn by somebody else mm-hmm. uh Uderzo took them over and it it, it wasn't ever the same you know, some of the the stories were were really quite poor. I mean, you know, the one with the aliens was a real low spot. But the last one was taking it much more back to its roots, and I really liked the last one. I forget what it was called now. Well, how how
1: recently? Literally, like last October. Oh I think wow! Was. I, I was not aware they had continued, but I it makes sense that they have.
0: Here we go. This is an interesting podcast, isn't it? I'm just actually looking looking up what that book is. It's funny, there's actually a theme park, Asterix theme park in France. And I've always, always, always wanted to go. And we drive up and down through France every year on vacation. Um, but I've never actually stopped at this place. And then I looked the other day, <laughs> literally when we just come back from vacation. And it turns out that it's literally only 30 or 40 miles away from the route that we take through France. Next time. The last one. Is where are we now? List of Asterix volumes. Asterix and the Picts, P-I-C-T-S, and it was 2013, and they're now written by Jean-Yves Ferry and uh, Didier Conrad. I think it's brilliant. It's just going to carry on. I mean, I think that those two really respect
1: the old heritage of the stories. I actually just found a picture of the um, the evolution, <laughs> like showing showing the very first, how he looked in the, like the first comic. Up to how he's like represented today.
0: Send me a link and we'll put that in the show notes. So I suppose the other thing that's happened this week, being a, being a topical news show that we are, <laughs> being both Apple nerds, what did you think about the
1: iPhone 6 and 6 plus announcement? Uh, you know, it's funny. I think they are unquestionably amazing devices and I'm not that excited about them. Weirdly. Is that weird? No, it's not weird at all. I think that we've just
0: become used to these things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're just used to them being, you know, fantastic and, uh, polished and great. And like, you know, I I don't even know if I'm going to pre-order one tomorrow or not. Um, uh, I probably will knowing me, but, (laughs) um, uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's my old age. I'm getting to be content with what I have. Um, but, Yeah. They they look amazing and I think they're great. Um, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, if we're talking about the phones, I I think they're going to be great and I'm going to get one at some point, but, uh, yeah, it's just the kind of, to me, they're always incremental and how, you know, they're better than the last one, obviously. And yeah, that's, that's kind of my stance right now.
0: I usually buy on the S release. I never buy the first
1: one. Yeah. That's not a bad idea.
0: But actually it's getting to the point where um you know what more can they do to these things? I mean the cameras obviously getting better and better and that's the thing really that I would upgrade for is the better camera cuz I use that all the time.
1: I saw someone I forget who tweeted about this but they were talking about you know there's obviously a lot of people in the design community particularly are kind of deriding the the larger the plus the 6 plus um for not needing to to be that big but um someone tweeted about saying that to, to think about it from the other side that that like the iPhone six plus could be someone's only computer, right? It could be their only, their only way to access the internet. their only like, that is their computer experience. And that is all they need. Um, you know, probably not for a designer obviously, but, uh, who, who has to kind of produce work, but that they're just getting, you know, it's, it's not as large as the iPad, but it's, it's bigger than the phone and and kind of what more, some people don't need any more than that. Which is, no. which is kind of cool.
0: No, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I've always said, oh, I don't really need a bigger phone. I mean, I think I said it when I had a 4S. Yeah. I don't really want a bigger phone. And I resisted buying the iPhone 5 until I had to, I had to buy a 5S because my 4S got stolen. So, you know, I, I was in that situation where I needed a, I needed a phone at that point, but I never really yearned for a bigger one. Um, now I'm thinking it actually might be quite cool. Yeah. But, I have so many devices that I can turn to to do whatever I need to do quickly. Mm-hmm. That I will just, I just wouldn't want a phone that big. You know, I've, I've got two iPad Minis sat next to me, um, which I sort of foolishly bought
1: for testing—one <laughs> <laughs> for each hand. No, it's, a, it's which a good, is the other thing. Sense. Which
0: is the other thing that I, I think this year is that I'm not doing the kind of work where I need to have you know one of every kind of device. So unless the situation dramatically changes, I don't think I'm going to be ordering either of them.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm actually coming into the phase where I don't, my, my company is going to need them. Um, but I, I don't necessarily personally need one of, of the new ones. Do you order one every year? I, I kind of not every, but, I, but more often than not. What do you do with the old ones? Um, I will either. It's always been a shuffle, like with a family shuffle, like who hasn't, you know, who gets all take like the upgrade path of my parents were on the same plan as I was for a while. So like my dad's was up for an upgrade. So I'd get his and he'd get mine and that sort of thing. But that, um, and then, or, or sell it through gazelle or pass it off. So yeah, I don't, I don't just chuck them in the, in the, in the garbage. I could do that because Alex, my son
0: has a 4S And I think he's yearning for a bit of an upgrade too, but I made the foolish decision of buying the gold 5s. (laughs) And he's like, I'm not having that. (laughs) (laughs) You can keep that one. Yeah. He's not going to be seen dead with the gold 4s, which actually I think is, is, is still an interesting phone, but I don't think I'm going to be buying a, a gold anything again. Not even a, not even a
1: gold eye watch.
0: You see, I'm doing it again. I'm calling it an iWatch, and it's not an iWatch,
1: is it? No, it's an Apple Watch. I wonder why. I don't know. Moving on. I I don't know. Maybe we'll get just an Apple phone someday. I don't know. I don't know if they could ever get rid of that brand. but
0: I'm getting a bit twitchy about how they're naming things, though. I mean, you've got Air, which they now seem to be applying to, well, just the lighter one. Which is the lightest iPhone? And why is that not called an Air as well? Um, if they're going to, you know, if they're going to put Air on the lightest laptop or on the lightest tablet, you know, why call it an Air? all oh, right you know, I don't, don't quite get that. And plus, plus, I'm not sure
1: about plus. Yeah, well, it th- wasn't there something that they had. Um, was there a has there been a plus before in one of the phones? No, I've never heard of a plus. They were going to do one of the original upgrades to one of the phones instead of being like an S or, or something was a plus, but it was actually a, um, the, like the, the graphical representation of a plus, not the word. And that they were afraid people like test groups were calling like the, like the iPhone math or something. Ooh, no, that would have been bad. Yeah.
0: But I don't understand. I mean, obviously with iPods, if you go all the way back to iPods, they were right from the classic to the nano, to the mini, to the shuffle. They weren't even related, really. I mean, I know they're all iPods, but there wasn't really much that linked the designs together. They were always very different. For example, with a Mac, the MacBook Air is the, is the line. And, you know, it's a MacBook Air, but they don't call it the MacBook Air 13 or the MacBook Air 11. They're not going down that. So it's just two sizes of the same thing. Right. And you get two sizes of a MacBook Pro and you get two sizes, or is it three sizes now, of a, an iMac. So why even give it the plus? Why does they just call
1: it the iPhone Six and it comes in two sizes? Maybe it comes down to price, like the 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 pricing levels, right? So you've got with a phone like you're comparing two models and they have different names and they have slightly different features, and uh, you can say like, oh, I do want the Six or do I want the Six Plus? Do I want the Six or the Six Plus? And like that's a you can see the 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 easy way to upsell to that other device or the way to kind of separate them in your minds. But when you're buying a computer, it's obviously a much well, you know, relatively speaking, but it's a much um, bigger investment. And so, you know, imagine if they had a, a MacBook Air and a MacBook Air Plus. You're like, well, which one do I get? I obviously want the best computer I can get. And so you're comparing, like, which one's better as opposed to which one actually has the features that you need.
0: But that, that I don't think that argument holds up because there are obviously different specs of MacBook. You know, different sizes, different specs. They're still MacBooks. So they don't, just because a, a MacBook has a, a, you know, a faster processor or more RAM and a bigger hard drive, they don't call it plus. It's got different features. It might even have extra ports. Yeah.
1: I don't understand why they call it plus. Well, listen, I'm not an industry analyst, <laughs> so I cannot answer you without speculation.
0: No, but we both work in branding.
1: Yeah. It's a total mess over there. I agree.
0: I, I think it is a bit of a mess now.
1: I'm more excited about the watch. Yeah, do you normally wear a watch? Yeah, I usually wear one. Of what kind of watch? Uh, well, it varies. I have a a lovely Omega that was handed down from my grandfather. The one I wear pretty much every day is just a a Swiss Army watch.
0: It's funny. I don't think the Apple Watch is going to be something you're going to hand down to your grandkids. <laughs> no. <laughs> Somehow,
1: the operating system is going to change.
0: Which, yeah, again, talking about the name of things, makes me wonder whether or not watch is the right word again i don't know watch has so many connotations that this thing doesn't have just because you wear it on your wrist it has a band
1: yeah but it's the same thing with iphone right the the phone on, on, on the iphone is like the the smallest part of it it is not it is so much more than a phone in fact it's probably the least used feature on it
0: i hardly ever make any phone calls.
1: yeah see maybe they just need to rename everything
0: what like microsoft are doing this week are they yeah, you read the news that um, they're dropping Windows Phone. I did And not. they're dropping the Nokia brand.
1: What are they going to call it?
0: Well, they're not going to call
1: oh, they're just not Nokia doing
0: anything. I think they're just going to be Microsoft phones. And instead of calling it Windows Phone, it's just going to be Windows, which is really strange. And I think they're renaming Bing as well. They're renaming some of the Bing services back, believe it or not, back to MSN. Huh. Interesting. Total about turn. Anyway, back to this watch for a second. What intrigues me or concerns me about it, apart from the fact that I always want to call it a damn iWatch, because we've all been calling it iWatch for the last six months or something, my problem is that I don't know what it's for, and I don't feel that they explained it at the keynote. I mean, they're focused on the actual design and they focused on um engineering and you know the
1: the style of it which is
0: beautiful but they didn't actually say what it was for they didn't say what sort of problem it was solving
1: well uh, obviously if like we're sleeping across you know and you're in the uk I'm i'm in the us we can send our heartbeats to each other what a ridiculous feature that is <laughs>
0: And I think somebody's already, uh, or I did read somewhere today about the various penis gags. <laughs> the minute that Kevin Lynch showed the feature where you can scribble a little drawing on the screen. Oh, yeah. Everybody on Twitter was just talking about, well, I wonder who's going to be the first person to draw a tiny penis.
1: I'm sure many people will do it simultaneously. I'm sure they already have.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure they already have in the hands, in the, uh, in the hands on room at the back of the <laughs> thing. I don't think they explained it so well. I mean, when Steve Jobs, I remember, they launched the iPhone, he spent the first 20 minutes or something talking about the problem of phones. And then that led into, obviously, what the iPhone was going to do. He didn't even show the phone until however many minutes in. And then when they launched the iPad, he talked about why using it was going to be better than a phone for some things and better than a laptop in other ways. And then he showed the device. Here, they just went straight to the shiny.
1: Yeah, it's true. They went straight to the design of it.
0: Which leaves me wondering. Apart from the, you know, the geek
1: factor, and it, it looks lovely. Why, why would I want one? Time will tell. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and like I said, I'm not. um I think it looks cool. I think it's great. I, I don't know if I'll get one. I mean, I'm sure if it continues down. Oh, let me put it this way. I don't know if I'll get the first one. Time will tell right? That like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not feeling as excited as I used to. And maybe I haven't felt that excited for a while on Apple announcements. Um, I remember the iPad being a huge, really being really excited for that because I wanted a tablet like that for a long, long time, but everything's shifting, right? Like I, I bring my MacBook air with me everywhere. And that used to be kind of why I wanted a tablet because I didn't, but it couldn't lug my computer or, or the computer I had was, was too heavy to lug. And, I have a home office now I have a, um, an office in uh, in Burlington and I just cart my air between it and have a, a monitor in each place and just plug it in. You know I think maybe at some point like if the iPad gets powerful enough that it can be doing that or the or the air shrinks enough that it becomes just a completely portable thing that you plug into other devices to kind of activate its full potential would be kind of interesting.
0: That's what we're going to do with, uh, with the new office. Actually, I'm going to put a couple of monitors in, in different places and we're just going to basically hot desk.
1: Yeah. It's been great. I've, I've loved doing it.
0: So let's just pull this back around to kind of, you know, what you do and icons and bits and pieces. But bef- before we leave the watch, and this is related, I'm it's a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> it's about the details for me. I mean, the straps are without doubt beautifully designed and really beautifully engineered. I saw some, um, a breakdown of the different strap designs earlier on today and it's wonderful. And I think that the watch itself, the digital crown, the look of it, I really like the actually I do like the gold one. I like the shiny silver one. I'm not so sure about the sport one. The gunmetal color. Mm-hmm. But what really really let it down for me during the demo was the design of the software. It just looked as if it came from like almost a skeuomorphic iOS 6 generation. Mm. And I didn't feel like it matched the hardware, the watch hardware, or even iOS 8. It didn't feel elegant in that way. I expected something that was more elegant. What I didn't expect, apart from, you know, tiny penises, was...
1: You didn't expect the tiny penises?
0: You can never expect a tiny penis. There's a show title. (laughs) See if I can dare to do that one. It just sneaks up on you. It it really (laughs) Yes, they do. I didn't expect animated, what were they? Animated emoji.
1: Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, uh, as an icon designer, I was like, wow, there's something that takes away from, I think, emoji in particular, like that when they're animated. That just adds this, like, that you do the little, uh, um, you know, the colon P for like the, the little tongue hanging out emoji. And like, that's kind of benign, right? It's not, it's not, suggesting anything but you, you have a you know this little pac esque sphere that's wagging its tongue at you and it gets pretty lascivious pretty quickly
0: i just felt that you know we've got beautiful apple hardware i mean everything in terms of hardware is you know unless you talk about an apple tv it's just a lump of plastic but you know laptop wise phone wise ipad wise i mean they're exquisite pieces of hardware and they're elegant you know the elegance has been refined over time and i never really felt that ios uh 6 or before or even the changes that they made to bring os 10 in line with that i never felt that they were elegant enough they were always kind of at odds with the hardware design mm-hmm. and now since we've had ios 8 and you know by the i haven't tried yosemite yet but by the looks of that things are much more elegant and reserved and you know beautiful fine details um you know down to literally a half pixel in terms of rendering and you see the watch with the animated emoji and you just think that doesn't fit doesn't that that would i think the software would actually be the thing that put me off buying the watch
1: yeah but i wonder how much that if it's possible that that will change, um, you know how uh, I don't know a lot about the internal workings of Apple, but that, you know, my understanding is that they often have kind of segmented groups. And so obviously the, the watch was a fairly top secret project and, uh, you know, I'm sure the teams working on it were doing so, uh, in some sort of enclosed capacity and that, you know, I, I don't know how much back and forth they had with the the iOS 7 design team. So that maybe maybe that will refine itself, you know, over the next number of months. This isn't coming out until the, the beginning of the year.
0: Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, the guy that demoed the thing on stage, Kevin Lynch, he was ex-Adobe. He was always the Flash guy at Adobe. He was the guy that wrote articles criticizing Apple for not putting Flash on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And... He was the guy that stood with BlackBerry when they launched the Playbook, and was demonstrating all of the apps that had been written in Adobe Air. Basically, you know, these are you know not native apps; they are written in Adobe Air, playing on the uh, on the, on the BlackBerry Playbook. You know, if he's the guy that's been responsible for the software, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that actually has tremendous taste.
1: Yeah, who knows?
0: We'll have to see about that. Let's get back to icons for a minute. Let's um let's get back to symbolicons. Actually, no, wait. Can we thank my second sponsor first? Of course. Because it's our friends that make Espresso, the text editor. You know, I've always said this. I think that listeners are going to notice if I talk about a product that I don't use or that isn't a good fit for the show. That's why I only really talk about products that I really like. And it's why I always talk about Matt Rabbit's Espresso when when they sponsor the show. Because Espresso is the text editor that I've used to write code every day for about as long as I can remember and you know, I've used it so much so often that I just can't imagine honestly using anything else to write HTML or CSS because it's got all the tools that I need to make writing and editing code really simple and efficient I write a lot of CSS as you can probably imagine and Espresso's got MacRabbits award-winning CSS edit tools built right in it's got code sense code folding smart snippets, drag-and-drop navigator, all those things are going to help you write better code in much less time. And I find myself using project-wide search and replace quite a lot, especially when I'm moving from design to production code. And it's got quick filtering and colour highlighting that makes searching the contents of files really quick and easy too. Now I know everyone's workflow is slightly different, and Espresso includes a flexible workspace that will fit into yours, And when you're ready to see how your work is going to look in a browser, Espresso includes a fantastic web preview feature that's got X-Ray so you can see how the HTML and the CSS that you're writing affects the pages that you're building. And it also visualizes margin and padding and helps you to quickly find and edit the relevant stars for any element. And then when you're finished, sync, publish your work up to a server with the built-in tools. You know, I know I'm kind of set in my ways, but I've tried other text editors, but I always just find myself coming back to Espresso. And to be honest, I can't imagine using anything else. So Espresso is available from unfinished.bz slash Espresso, and it's only 75 of your Vermontian dollars. (laughs) But listeners to the show, You can get a fantastic 10% discount by using the offer code UNFINISHED at the checkout, and that's Espresso. Good. Good. I love Espresso. I use it all the time too. Oh, well, there you go. Another Espresso fan. Yeah. Fabulous. I got hooked when I realized that uh, my friend Vila Peters had designed the splash screen. That was it. That was all I needed to know.
1: (laughs) That's a great splash screen.
0: So actually, let's not talk about icons for a minute. I forgot to mention, I was looking at your portfolio work. I saw some illustrations that you did for Town Hall Theatre. That's in your portfolio.
1: Yeah. And there's a gorilla. There is a gorilla. I like that. They're a local theater to where I live. And uh, they do a big membership drive every year. and And for the past four years, they've four or five years, they've hired me to kind of design their poster and brochure to go with it. And they did a, it was like a King Kong theme one year. And so we, I did their, that's their actual building. And I did a little King Kong on the side of it. And then they, they're like, membership drive levels and the actual building in real life, they put a giant gorilla and they kind of had it scaling the side of the building, depending on the, the, um, donations. Wow.
0: It looks fabulous. I don't know whether you've heard, but I mean, I do like gorillas.
1: I've heard. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The internet seems to have associated them with me. I really like the concept actually King Kong up that town hall tower. It's brilliant. Yeah, it was fun. And the tagline, I like this, the tagline, be part of something big. That was great. Did you write that?
1: Um, no. I mean, I, I, I typed it. I typed those letters, but, uh, no, but did
0: you come up with the tagline? No,
1: Donut? no, no.
0: So what were you working with? Uh, was that part of their already part of their marketing strategy or was it, uh, another design agency that was coming up with that stuff? Copywriter.
1: Oh no, it was just, I mean, I was just working straight with them. It's a small, small theater. So then I was working with their executive director and we kind of brainstormed the theme to use and, you know, I I may have had a part in coming up with the the slogan, but it, it was through a process of throwing out a number of ideas.
0: Okay, so you were basically working with them to come up with that. It wasn't uh, there wasn't a specific copywriter or designer that no. that thought that up. No, I mean
1: D- Doug Doug, who's the, the artistic director, was kind of the main for he he was kind of the creative director behind it for the project, and then I did did the artwork and and ideas for it. And then you if you scroll down there there you can see some of the other similar style posters we did for different, you know, there's like an alien one and one based on Peter Max, a like kind of 1960s drawing style. It's
0: really, really strong work. Thank you. Thank you. It really made me smile earlier on today. Do people come to you with specific ideas or are you generally coming up with those concepts? It
1: completely depends there the, for the, this, these projects in particular, the town hall theater ones, Doug usually comes at me with like a basic idea and then I'll kind of take that idea and, and try and come up with a way to visually represent it. Um, and then sometimes people are very specific about what they want. Uh, and it helps that kind of the town hall theater ones are different in the sense that I'm always, the style is changing from piece to piece. And so I'm kind of always going a little bit outside my comfort zone when I'm designing there, which is fun because I'm, I'm stretching myself as a designer. Um, but then there are people who come to me because they recognize kind of my quote-unquote style and and want something designed in that style or or want an avatar or or a logo design that kind of is reflective of the other type of work I I typically do.
0: Yeah, that sounds a bit like when I work with Josh Cleland on the Stuff and Nonsense headers. I'll kind of have a rough idea in mind, and I'll just sort of throw it over to him. And then we're working at the moment on some kind of rough compositions because it's a particularly awkward one, this one. But, uh, no, it's lovely work. Really lovely work. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Talking about your style, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are going to have seen your work for the show
1: art that you do for five by five, the podcast network. Yes.
0: Are you still working with them?
1: Yeah, I am. (laughs) I am. I am not It's not as kind of fast and furious as it has been in the past, but if a, if a new show comes up or, or a show comes onto the network, I'll, I'll get the chance to kind of work on, work on, uh, some more artwork as, as time permits. Did you turn the big web show red last week or the week before? No, I did not. No, actually I didn't. I'm sure they did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was, so that was a, the big web show. I'm not sure if it started on five by five, uh, but I think Jeffrey Zeldman designed the original piece of art for that. And then when I was doing the the kind of the new 3d style that we developed, um, for, for the five by five newer art, I took what Jeffrey had done and kind of five by five it or whatever. I made it 3d and kind of added in the some different elements to it. And then, um, then I think when he moved to Mule, he went back to his original artwork and then they came back to five by five and they just recolored what I had already done.
0: So was it your
1: responsibility the long shadows? Yes, that was me. The long shadows. (laughs) That was a weird, it was a, there were like four or five shows when I first started working with Dan on the network and we wanted to find a way to unify them while, while retaining their individual identities. And I just had this whim of thinking that the first piece of artwork I did was for, um, what was it called? The awesome show or, or, or a brief, briefly awesome, I think. And that just the, the name felt like briefly awesome, just kind of invoked in me this like, kind of old school, like those big stone letters and kind of, you could, you could see, I kind of did a little bit of it on that, that town hall theater art on the, on the, um, the King Kong one with kind of the letters coming at you. And, uh, it just kind of felt that way to me. And, and I had the whim that I could take all the artwork and let it be what it is and keep the typeface they're using, the colors they're using, but kind of pull in this, this graphical 3d element and, and tie them all together visually. Um, and so we did that in them and, and, in combination with a little logo band at the bottom.
0: What do we call that? Do we call it extrusion? Is that what they extrude? Yes.
1: I, they have been extruded.
0: That's a lovely word. Yeah. I can think of plenty more like donuts. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was that. That's, that's, and an we've done, I've done so many pieces of art for five by five. I think 50 plus for, for shows past, present and future and ones that had a glimmer of existing and never did and and ones that you know existed briefly or moved on or have retired or or haven't been released yet so yeah it's a it's a it's a big i've got a very heavy dropbox folder full of those we need to do some new artwork for this show
0: actually it's been long time coming so anyway finally then let's let's talk about talk about icons let's talk about symbolic on sure how did you start working on these? I mean, what made you decide that you wanted to, uh, make a product?
1: You know, it was an evolution. Um, I, I used to work for a company that, um, for, it was actually my father's company and he is a landscape architect and designer and did a lot of, uh, wayfinding design. So signage design and, uh, uh, you know, signs obviously are, um, a lot of them have iconography on them, have pictograms on them. Um, you know, the hospital this way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, parking this way, and I had been designing some pedestrian wayfinding signs for him and uh, for a client, and there was a couple icons that didn't exist in the the kind of the general uh, library of icons we typically used. Um, and so I designed them. And if I'm being honest, this was I hadn't been doing much web design at the time. I didn't really know much about pixel perfect design. I designed those icons at three quarter inches. Like they were designed to be manufactured in vinyl and, and put on a a physical sign. And then uh, a little while later I was actually designing a website for a client and I just thought that they were, could use some icons along the top to, to distinguish each of their categories. And, And one of the icons I designed for the sign actually fit um, stylistically. And so I was like, okay, I'll just make, you know, six more in this style. And I did that. And, um, I just had a whim for the client. I was like, Hey, I'd like to keep doing these icons. Cause I think there are a lot of different categories. It was a chamber of commerce. And so there are, you know, dining categories and different types of businesses. And I was like, I could come up with a different type of icon for each of your, um, categories, but obviously it was going to be time consuming to do so. And that wasn't part of initial budget. And so I was just like, so I'll do it, I'll, I'll, but I'll keep the rights to them and I'll just give you a license to, to use the icons on your website, but I'll keep the rights. And she agreed. And, um, by the end of the project, I think I had about 35 icons that I designed. And I was like, you know what, maybe I can bring this up to a hundred and release it, um, to give, to give to people and let people buy it. And so slowly and surely, but surely I did. And, uh, that was kind of the the initial that was the start of symbolicons and i think i'd posted on my blog at the time like some ridiculous name that was like a graphic grammar whatever like just, you know <laughs> this weird amalgamation of all, <laughs> all these different icon type words and then i was like wait i i just take those first two words and shove them together cuz they're symbols um you know which is kind of from the world of of signage and their icons because we're using them online and for and for this type of thing and and it stuck and the domain name was available. So I I started a website called Symbolicons, and my initial set was a hundred icons that I think I sold for like $25 and, um, it hasn't stopped since then. And that was some years ago. How many sets have you made now? I have, I think there are nine sets, nine sets available for purchase. And I am, I'm if I have time (laughs) finishing up a 10th right now,
0: Cause I think the first time that I really became aware of them was when you made a set that was available for symbol sets.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, so those were, um, a bunch of mine are now available for symbol set. And that was, uh, um, that was just, I don't know, uh, 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 luck of the draw, a being in the right place at the right time. I happened to see, um, the symbol set guys. Uh, who, who, you know, our Oak, Oak Studios tweet about it, tweet about Symbol Set when it, when it was first launched and saying, if you're an icon designer, get in touch. And I was, I got in touch immediately and just on a whim was able to be the first icon set that they released that they hadn't designed themselves.
0: No, I remember getting the email because I think I was a customer of theirs before. Yeah. And then when the email comes through, and usually there's only a few emails that I will kind of remember or respond to unexpected and the the symbol set ones are always worth a read. Yeah.
1: They keep them nice and brief and and then to the point, to the point.
0: I actually also renewed my dribble pro account this morning. You know, I got a really nice short brief to the point email from the guys at dribble. And I think I'd renewed my account within about five minutes after that. It's amazing. You should just cut, cut to it. Yeah. Fantastic. But no, I remember getting the email through from, them with your icons and then just putting it together uh because i remember having heard your name i think dan at five by five had mentioned you a few times and it's like ah that guy (laughs) he owes me money
1: (laughs) ah he's a donut
0: borrowed my lawnmower in 1983 (laughs) and i want it back so how does it work do, do Do they pay you a royalty or do you get a flat fee for the design how How does it work with those guys
1: yeah it's just a perc- it's percentage i get I get the majority of the um purchase price and and they get a percentage of it um through their site so it's great it's a no brainer for me it's I don't have to worry about the icon fonts I've obviously you know wanted them and use i i you know I use the icon version or the the font versions all the time of my own icons um And then, you know, it's always kind of a, it's, I don't know, it's fun. It's a, they just, every time I come out with an icon set, if I think it's going to be good for them too, I'll, I'll, I'll ping, I'll ping Mike over there and, and they'll, they'll make it happen for me. And I think there are, I think six of my sets, one, two, three, four, five, six of my sets are on simple set. Now I I love having a separate service that they kind of, they deal with all the, (laughs) all the details of it. And then, and then I get a, I get a little payment once a month. They mail you a check. Yep. Which is lovely.
0: That's the best thing.
1: Cool. Yeah. I don't know. I love designing icons and it's one of those things that, you know, I don't make my living off of them certainly, but as it's a nice little extra boost that, that is unexpected most months and, um, it's something I'd be doing anyway. So just, just finding a way to kind of (laughs) capitalize on that has been, has been fun and, and nice
0: i'm just flicking across your site how come i've never noticed three six four the tardis icon before i'm just downloading this now i shall send this a link to this to john hicks
1: yeah so that was i did uh last year that's i was gonna say it's last year yeah I missed that one. well last year i did an icon every single day so i i wanted to challenge myself and and um i released them for free the the the, the ping versions of them for free on my site and um release one every single day for two thousand and thirteen and one day was the TARDIS icon. Um, and then those ultimately I packaged them up and, and I'm selling those as the, the uh, block two and the line two set on my on my site. Um, although the TARDIS and some of the other ones which are kind of copyrighted and you know I don't only copyright to I I just release for free and don't and you you cannot buy those from me. You can get them only for free.
0: That's one of the things that we have to sort of tread carefully sometimes um, I half expect 20th century Fox to be knocking on the door one day going about those apes. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it was actually part of Josh's brief to make them not the planet of the apes. You know, people that know me, listen to the show, know what I'm about. They'll probably make the connection, but hopefully, hopefully people weren't. In fact, we had some guy on the phone and he was a cheesy sales guy this week. He'd obviously, he, okay, let's give him some extra points. He'd, looked at the website before he made the sales call. <laughs> and he said, uh, but but he, he fell down on two major po- three major points. One, we didn't want to buy what he was selling. I even forget what it was. Two, he called them monkeys, which is never gets me in the right frame of mind. And three, he said he really liked them because they reminded him of the monkeys from the Powerpuff Girls.
1: I can see that.
0: But yeah, you see, I can't see
1: that. Oh, from uh,
0: the, the Mojo Jojo. Well, I've never watched the Power of Puff Girls. Have you got small girls? Have you got small kids? Yes,
1: yes, I do.
0: I mean, I have a grown-up geologist. The Power of Puff Girls were never part of his, uh, his upbringing. <laughs> yeah, so he got, he got that one wrong. But yeah, we need to be really careful. We really need to be careful. In fact, the the new header that we're working on right now is a slight kind of departure. Um, we 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 don't want to get into any kind of copyright woes.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to. I need to learn more about it because I, I'd love. I've done little pieces of illustration. I did a bunch of Star Wars icons and a bunch of superhero icons throughout the year that, you know, I'm very clear that I don't own the copyright to. And, but like, I'd love to like make posters of them or something. Cause I just think the style is pretty cool, but I just, I'm so wary of the legal side of things that I'm just, i am just have avoided it. Um,
0: I talked about this on the show with Josh Cleland before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's done some amazing walking dead illustrations. I mean, just beautiful kind of character portraits. And you think, Oh man, I'd love a set of those. I mean, there's a, there's an art gallery in Manchester near where I go to work. Sometimes it's called the Richard Goodall gallery Mm -hmm. and they have a huge amount of poster art that you can go in and buy. And I forget who the artist is now, but there's a whole series of, um, I'll try and look it up whole series of prints that the guy has done in terms of alternative, almost like movie posters. But they're just the characters and he's done things like the big lebowski and uh dawn of the dead and the royal tenenbaums and things like that and you think he must have had a license he must somehow have got a license for that
1: yeah or like how does it where's the line where it becomes free use or or a parody or like where where does that fall um
0: yeah, I mean, it's such dodgy ground. So, so that's,
1: I just avoid it altogether, but, but maybe if someone much smarter than me wants to fill me in on some details, I'd love to hear it.
0: One more thing, I think, before we, I think we need to wrap up. Okay. Um, but I just want to quickly mention again, people are going to get bored with this, but I want to mention again that um, I'm going to be hosting a CSS3 for Responsive Design Workshop at uh, Beyond Tellerrand in Berlin in November. You ever been to Berlin? I have not, no. Well, I've never been to Berlin, so I'm really quite looking forward to it. And I know it's going to be a really good day of geeking out <laughs> with some new CSS. So I hope people are going to join me. In fact, the reason I'm mentioning this again is if you need a little bit more persuasion, the guys that be on Telerand, they're actually offering a 20% discount to listeners to the show. So, which they haven't done before. Whenever I've mentioned it before, I didn't include a discount. Whereas now what they're doing is they're saying, right, if you use the offer code unfinished when you buy your ticket, in fact, you can go to unfinished.bz slash workshop and you'll get that 20% discount applied automatically. It will save you 60 euros. So thanks, mate. I re- I've really enjoyed talking to you today. You should come on again. I think I owe you one
1: now. <laughs> oh, I'd love to come on again. It's been
0: fun. One thing that we never got to—we um, didn't get to talk about notably.
1: Oh yes, notably.
0: So maybe that can be a topic for another day.
1: Yeah, that would be great. And I can uh, let me give the if you're a, if you're a parent with young kids and you care about privacy, uh, go to notably n o t a b l i dot com.
0: So we'll get to that another show. I think. That'll be wonderful. So people can follow you, Jory. You're on Twitter. You are...
1: Sensible world.
0: You're not at all sensible though, really, are No,
1: you? not usually. But I, I like to try and trick myself.
0: Nor am I a world. Or you, people can follow me at Malarkey to ask questions or suggest topics. You can message this show on Twitter at Unfinished BZ or email me. He has at Unfinished dot BZ. The show notes will be at Unfinished dot BZ slash 86. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were anti type and Espresso. Please, 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 please support our show by supporting them.